I hope all of you are doing well today, that you're enjoying a good weekend, and it is a beautiful day outside. Hopefully, we've got some uh, nice weather in the days ahead of us. Uh, it looks like that anyway. So I hope you'll be able to go out and enjoy the rest of the day. I know Javier is going to have a great day because it's his birthday today. So happy birthday to our translator back there in the corner, Javier. Um, happy birthday. And uh, for the rest of us, I hope that you'll have a really, really good day uh, as well. Uh, I wanted today to uh, talk about a lesson that I started with the men on Wednesday, but uh, want, uh, we don't need to review all of that. I just want to launch into like another part of it uh, that stands alone, but it is the idea of restlessness versus stillness. These two concepts, being restless and being still before the Lord. And I, I'm bringing this from Genesis chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. So if you want to turn to Genesis chapter 2, or we have on the screen right here, uh, Genesis chapter 2, there is this concept that's presented very early in the Bible, okay, right after creation, where Adam has this choice to uh, eat of the tree, of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil or not. And that very choice is a choice that presents a lot of restlessness in his life. And then in the life of, of Eve. And so there are things in life that cause us uh, to be restless. I really, really appreciated Shirley's communion message. I mean, it was much along this same idea that in December, she had these events that happened in her life, as well as her mom, that caused restlessness in her life. But what did she do? She took that to God. And uh, we have those types of situations that happen in life all of the time. For me, I've had a restless week, a lot of restlessness in my brain. I was telling my, just because of different situations, things outside of myself that I can't control. Does that ever happen to you? Things come in your life that you, you just have no control over. And boy, but boy, you wish you could control them. Because <laughs> it would be so much better if you could just turn a dial and, oh, that's fixed. But you can't do that. And so I, that happened this week. And even on the way to church, I was telling Lee on the way to church, I said, I have all of these intrusive thoughts that are just entering my mind. And I'm really trying to be still and know the Lord, but it's, it's just difficult right now. And I've, I've been working on this, you know, all week. And it's still, they're just in there. They're just bombarding me. But we have to do our best to get rid of the restlessness by allowing stillness to come into our lives. And a lot of that is exactly what Shirley was talking about, just having faith, but also noticed another thing that she did, which I thought was marvelous, Shirley, and that is keeping scripture in front of you, keeping scripture in front of her mom, staying in the Bible, even, and I'm going to get to this toward the end, long extended periods of being with the Lord. Intentional, intentional. I'm just going to get away and I'm going to get under my shade tree and I'm going to think about God right now, you know, and I've, I've done that this week, <laughs> but there's the restlessness still comes. It's just a battle. It just is. 
But if you look here in Genesis chapter 2, verses 15 through 17, the, the restlessness appeared very early in the story of the Bible. There is this scripture that says, Yahweh Elohim, the names of God that are mentioned there, took the human, that's man, that's Adam, and placed him in the Garden of Eden. Now notice a couple of things here. He places him in the Garden of Eden, but he also, it says, to serve and to guard. He gives him purpose. And that's a great thing, that God gives us purpose in life. So he just doesn't place him there and say, okay, veg out, okay? Veg out amongst all the vegetation, okay? He, didn't say, he said, you're here for a reason, to serve and to guard. Now, to serve, you might think, okay, what does that mean? Well, one of the ways that he served was he named all the animals, and that was service. God asked him to do that, and he did it. And um, I would imagine that took quite a bit of time uh, to name all of the animals, but that's one of the ways that he served. Uh, and then it says to guard. Now, I'm not sure exactly what that means, because when we read on in the story, it seems like the garden, the main, the main thing that Adam needed to guard against in the garden was his own heart. But that's where guarding starts. That's where protecting starts. It's in your own heart. Ultimately, Adam didn't do such a good job there. And ultimately, he was expelled from the garden, and God put different guards in front of the garden called cherubim like angels, angel warriors. Let's just put it that way, angel warriors. Uh, and they, they protected the garden. But we need to start by recognizing our purpose. And then after that, it says, and this is a great part of the scripture too, Yahweh Elohim commanded the man saying, you are free to eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of, of the knowledge of good and evil, you must not eat because on the day you eat of it, you will die a death. Sometimes that's translated as you will surely die. So this is my translation because in the, in the Hebrew, the word is repeated. It's mut tamut. You hear the word mut there? That's death. You will die a death. And so it's good to kind of get that repetition in there. Um, you will certainly die. But no, notice what God does here. He doesn't start with the prohibition. He doesn't start with you must not eat of. He actually starts with eat of any tree. He actually starts with the freedom. Adam, you have freedom to eat of anything that's here. And apparently that included the tree of life because there is no prohibition against that. And I imagine the tree of life simply means the tree that keeps you living, the tree that gives you life. That's often the way that is stated in, in the Hebrew mind. This is a tree that will keep on giving you life and you're free to eat of it. But not just that, you can eat of any tree uh, that's in the garden. And so just enjoy, enjoy all the trees of there. And then comes the prohibition. But I think what we need to do is sometimes what happens is we look at the prohibition, we get so up, caught, caught up in the prohibition that we forget all the freedom we have. We forget all the blessings we have. And that's where God begins. You're free. You have blessings. Eat of any tree. Gerhard von Rad, a German theologian, I love to quote from German theologian. <laughs> it says, God begins with a release. He gives Adam a freedom, a release. And that's where he starts. 
And I think we also in our own lives need to realize we should start in our own minds with the freedom. There's so many wonderful things that we get to enjoy in the world around us, in our spiritual lives, in the church. Let's start there. I know for me personally, if I were told you can eat of any tree, uh, the fruit of any tree, I would be looking for the mango trees. That's where I would be. I'd be searching for some really good, juicy mangoes. And I don't know if you've ever been to Haiti, but the, the greatest mangoes that I've ever eaten were on the island of Haiti. They have so many varieties. I looked it up this week that there are like 300 varieties of mangoes uh, in the world, 300 to 500. And so that's probably happened over time, but I imagine there were plenty in the garden, plenty of varieties of mangoes. And man, I would have been a juicy mess eating those mangoes, because it's hard to eat a mango, especially, I don't know that, 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 that he had a knife. It's hard to eat a mango without getting messy. Um, but I would have been a juicy mess. Flies would have been all around me uh, eating those mangoes. But that's what I would have been doing, trying to experience the freedom there. But what happens is, as soon as that prohibition comes in, you start thinking about it. And God says, you're free. You're free to eat of any tree, including the tree of life. What an amazing blessing. One thing, and he uses the word command. It's the first time the word command is found in the Bible. And yet the whole rest of the Bible, and especially the Torah, the five books of the Old Testament, contain many, many commands. This is the first. And he commands him, but of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you're not to eat of that. And, of course, that ultimately is going to fill up his mind, Eve's mind, and ultimately they're going to break that command. But if we can focus on the good, if we can focus on the freedom, if we can focus on the blessings, that will really help. That will help ease the restlessness that comes in. But, you know, sometimes you see these signs, right? Don't touch the paint. When you see those signs, wet paint, like that, wet paint, do not touch. What is your first inclination? I mean, just to reach out, even if it's just to tap it. You start thinking all these questions. You start asking yourself, how long ago was that painted? How long ago was that sign posted? What if it were there for three days? That Surely it's dry. Surely it's dry now. And so let me just inspect. Let me just, let me just see. Oh, yeah, it is wet. <laughs> but that's where our brain goes. That's where our mind goes. It, it, uh, we just have to explore that prohibition. And what happens is it creates restlessness in our lives. And that restlessness is something that um, can cause a lot of pain in our lives. Because when we start breaking prohibitions, that is a recipe for pain especially when it's God's prohibitions. I mean, God was super clear. If you eat of this, you will die a death. He says the word moot death twice. So I can't be, um, I can't wonder about it. Ah, that, that's, that's serious. But ultimately, they give in. See, the theme of restlessness, or even you could say lack of contentment, enters the picture here. 
This prohibition causes a restlessness in Adam and ultimately in Eve as well. This restlessness becomes the vulnerability of Adam and Eve in chapter 3. And when the serpent enters the picture, the serpent enters and speaks with the woman, Eve. Um, she actually wasn't present when God gave the commands. And so he switches it up a little bit and causes more restlessness. So in chapter 3, verse 5, it says, Elohim knows that on the day that you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. He tries to tell her what this tree of knowledge of good and evil is all about. Um, and actually, he says, you're going to be like God, which is the opposite of actually what happens when they eat the, of the tree. And then verse 6, the woman, Isha, she gets restless. She gets restless because there's that prohibition there. And then the crafty serpent adds to her restlessness by actually saying some things that just weren't true. And so the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eye and that the tree was desirable to make one wise. And she took from the fruit and ate and gave to her husband who was with her and he ate. Thus, this restlessness leads to them breaking the prohibition. Restlessness led to the belief that the tree was good for food, a delight to the eye, desirable to make one wise. And the serpent adds, It'll make you like God, which was just too much for these people to handle. And their restlessness led to them eating the fruit. Now, the fact is, is that restlessness enters all of our lives. It's not just an Adam and Eve problem. It's a human problem. And so what we, what we have to do is try to look and see, okay, how do we handle this restlessness in our lives? And the Bible is helpful there. The Bible gives us various things to help us see ways in which we can handle and we can overcome restlessness, even actually gives a, an antidote to restlessness in our lives. And that's what I want to turn to and talk about a little bit right now. Anthony DeMello, in his book, The Way to Love, speaks of restlessness. And he speaks of it in especially terms of attachments, especially in terms of unhealthy attachments because we can get these unhealthy attachments in our lives and they can cause restlessness. And another way of saying unhealthy attachments are addictions, addictions that cause restlessness. And so we have to learn, okay, how do we handle these things in our lives? And the thing that we attach to, it's probably neutral. It's probably not a bad thing in and on its own. But when we get restless and we end up um, participating in it too much or possessing it too much or trying to own it too much, then it becomes an unhealthy and it becomes an unhealthy attachment at that point. But Anthony DeMello, one, one of the things he says is that we have to learn to think correctly. He says what makes you happy or unhappy is not the world and the people around you but the thinking in your heart. And you can even see this in Genesis 2 and 3, that it actually, it's not the tree that's unhealthy, it's what happens in the heart of Adam and Eve. They become restless, and that restless thinking becomes unhealthy thinking, and it leads to them, um, it leads to them breaking the prohibition. 
Now, I used this illustration on Wednesday, and it went over so well that I'm going to use it again, okay? Uh, <laughs> some of you recognize what this is right here, okay? Some of you in the back, it's hard to see, but this is a pack of Pokemon cards, okay? If you don't know what po Pokemon is, well, God bless you. you. That is actually one of the freedoms that you have in life that you need to hold on to and be grateful for. Um, but if by your children you've been introduced to Pokemon, then these can really become an attachment. Now, both of my grandsons right now, Bradley, who is seven, and Tyler, who, who is five, are really into Pokemon. I mean, every time I see them, they talk about it. Every time I see them, they bring up the new card that they got. And every time I see them, their Uncle Daniel left them and left me with two binders full of Pokemon cards that are probably 25, 30 years old. So now every time they see me, they ask about these cards and they wanna know when it is it their turn to, to own these cards, okay? Now I, I hold in my hand, it's actually a sealed package of Pokemon cards. And this one happens to be from you see where this, the, the date is here. Um, it happens to be from 1998, okay? Unopened from 1998, okay? That's a long time. I know some of you are trying, thinking, how can I come up there and take those cards from him right now? Um, but <laughs> I, told, I told Bradley and Daniel, I mean, Tyler, sorry, Bradley and Tyler, I told them, I said, I have some sealed packages of Pokemon cards. One of the biggest mistakes I've ever made. Because especially Tyler, Tyler, now every time he sees me, pop, pop, when are you going to give me those cards? You know? And then, you know, then he makes the face, you know, the, 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 the nice, you know, love me face kind of thing. Um, and, and it's, 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 you can just see the restlessness. The restlessness is there. And so I haven't showed him this and I don't plan on it. I, I made the mistake of telling him they existed, but he's never seen this, but actually have six of these, okay? Six of these that Daniel just never opened, put them in a drawer. I found them and I, I don't really care about them. So I didn't open them <laughs> and they've just been sitting there. And uh, even Scott says, Scott told me on Wednesday, he said, bro, you could have a $3,000 card in there. And I'm like, yeah, okay. <laughs> I'm not attached to it. And since I'm not attached to it, guess what? There's no restlessness here. There's no restlessness because it's not the cards that cause the restlessness. It's the thinking. It's the heart. It's what's inside of me that causes that. Um, so now you might think, well, you're unattached to them give them to me, okay? But I'm not going to do that because I want to help you with your addiction, okay? I want to help you with your restlessness in your own life right now. So I'm doing you a favor, put them back in my pocket, and I'm going to lock them up, and I really hope that I remember to take them out before I wash the shirt uh, because that would be horrible, right? Um, but yeah, that illustration worked Wednesday. It's still working today, so that's, that's a good thing. But I want you to see from that, again, it's not the thing, it's our thinking. It's our heart. 
that creates this restlessness. So if we're going to ease the restlessness, what do we have to do? Well, we could get rid of the thing, okay, but it's likely the restlessness will linger, even though the thing isn't there. What we have to do is deal with our thinking and deal with our heart. And what we ultimately have to do is find something of more value. And that's God. That's God himself of way more value than anything else that we would attach ourselves to. But Mello goes to, he's just going to mention here four truths, okay? I'm going to give these very quickly. I want to take a picture of this. I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but it's good. These four truths are really good because he says this is the liberation from attachment, the liberation from unhealthy attachment. The first truth is you must choose between your attachment and happiness. That's a great point that he's making there. You got a choice to make. You can be attached to this or you can choose happiness. And then he says you cannot have both. The moment you pick up an attachment, your heart is thrown out of kilter and your ability to lead a joyful, carefree, serene life is destroyed. And that is the rest of the story in Genesis chapter three. You can read it for yourselves, but that's what happens when Adam and Eve decide we're not gonna let go of this attachment, we're gonna possess it. It, it really destroyed uh, what they had with God at that point, okay? Number two, the second truth. The second truth is this, where did your attachment come from? You were not born with it, right? We're not born with attachments. It sprang from a lie that your society and your culture have told you, or a lie that you have told yourself. Namely, that without this or the other, without this person or the other, you can't be happy. So look at the lie. See the lie that's there. And anything, anything that comes to your life and you think, I can't live with this, well, though what that is doing is it's becoming an idol. And you're putting that on the throne instead of God being on the throne. And so you've got to recognize that lie. And that's the second truth. It's the perspective that Jesus gives us in Matthew 5, 19 through 21, where he talks about not storing up for ourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, your heart will be also. Okay, And then uh, it talks about the third, the third truth. The third truth is this, yes, if you wish to be fully alive, you must develop a sense of perspective. Life is infinitely greater than this trifle your heart is attached to, which you have given the power to so upset you. And so you've got to look at things from an eternal perspective, or sometimes we like to say a kingdom perspective. And that's where the Sermon on the Mount comes in as well. And then fourth, the fourth truth is this. The fourth truth brings you to the unavoidable conclusion that no thing or person outside of you has the power to make you happy or unhappy. Whether you are aware of it or not, it is you and only you who decides to be happy or unhappy, whether you cling to your attachments or not in any given situation. So happiness doesn't come from things or from people. It comes from inside our hearts where we decide that we are actually going to be with God and follow God. And so these truths are really good. Now I wanna break it down a little bit more 
before we close out by looking at one passage of scripture, which I feel like really gives us the antidote to restlessness. And honestly, the antidote to restlessness is stillness, stillness. But how do we come about stillness in our heart where we're no longer restless? Augustine said in his confessions, he said this to God, you have made me, made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. Restlessness is ultimately stilled by resting in God or being still in God. Uh, this week, as I was going through these things, just serendipitously, um, Leslie Garrison sent a, a recording of a speech a lesson that Dallas Willard did, and I'm a huge fan of Dallas Willard. And then Lee forwarded it to me. And actually, she sent this, and Lee sent it to me, even before the restlessness entered my heart. But then when as I was listening to this, I was like, this is just from God. Because actually, Dr. Willard is helping me um, in his lesson. So much of, of the rest of this lesson that I'm about to give, it belongs to Dallas Willard, the late Dallas Willard. Um, and I believe in giving people credit for what they have done, because if you don't, it's plagiarism, right? <laughs> and I, uh, as a person that teaches, uh, I try to catch people that plagiarize. Um, and so this, the rest of this, just give it credit to Dallas Willard, because this really comes from his mind and his thoughts, and I have just simply borrowed them from him. Um, but as I mentioned, I had a troubling week this week. I experienced several disappointments, and I actually got to the point where I became discouraged. And I don't know if you've ever had a discouraging week or not. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it is the human condition that we are restless people, um, but I found myself to be very restless, and I found myself having all of these uh, thoughts just bombarding me, even as I was coming uh, to church today. And so I, I, I did a couple of things. I called some close friends and just told them, this is what I'm feeling. And that was so, so helpful. Because often what happens is, is good spiritual friends, they're just like an appendage from God. You know, I mean, you, you need to be close to God, but you need to be around godly people too. And so they were so helpful in just talking to them and, um, and helping me. And uh, again, it was out of my control. It was out of their control, but they helped me with my restlessness. But then what Dallas Willard said was the most helpful. And uh, basically what he said is that we all need to spend extended periods of time with God. Extended periods of time with God, whether that's reading the Bible or that's meditating or that's contemplating, or that's in prayer, or that's just sitting with someone that really brings you comfort. Extended periods of time with God. And then he illustrated this by going to Psalm 46, verses 1 through 11. And so the rest of this lesson, what I'm going to do is I'm going to take you through Psalm 46, 1 through 11, in three parts. This will be, we'll go through it very quickly here. But this is an amazing psalm that really helps us with restlessness because it teaches us about stillness. That's the antidote to restlessness. Be still and know that I am God. When we are still before the Lord, then we start to deal with restlessness. 
And being still before the Lord, part of that is what Dallas Willard's talking about, extended periods of time where we just say, God, I am, I'm going to spend time with you right now. I, this, is, this is our time together right now. But in verse 1, I'm going to start with 1 through 3. I'll talk through a little bit of it as we go. God is our refuge and our strength. That's the nature of God. That's the character of God. He is a refuge that we can go to and we can hide in him. He is also someone that will strengthen us because he is so strong. A very present help in trouble. I like the word help in trouble, but I also like the word present. God's presence is always with us. We just have to recognize that. Jesus said, I am with you always to the end of the earth. Jesus is always here. The Holy Spirit is a part of us. And so we need to rely on that and, and appreciate the presence of God. And then it says, therefore, we will not fear. Well, how can we not fear? We are fearful people. Well, we don't fear because of who God is, not because of who we are. We don't fear because God is our refuge and our strength. We don't fear because God is a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. And then he looks at these conditions around him. Though the earth should change, though the mountains shake in the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble with its tumult. In other words, if there's an earthquake going, if there's a volcano going, if the sea is about to come uh, out, of, out, of the, um, out of the ocean and, and uh, overtake land, we're trusting in God because he's a present help in time of trouble. We take our restlessness and we're still in front of the Lord. And then um, when things come, we learn to trust. Verses four through seven, the next part of the passage. It says here, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the most high. God is in the midst of the city. It shall not be moved. God will help it when the morning dawns. The nations are in an uproar. The kingdoms totter. He utters his voice. The earth melts. Then it says in verse 7, the Lord of hosts is with us. You know what the Lord of hosts means? You know that picture in the Bible of the Lord of hosts? You heard of El Shaddai? Do you know El Shaddai? Also can be translated the God of the kingdom armies. That's the Lord of hosts. The Lord of hosts is the God of the angel armies. The hosts are his angels, his cherubim, his, they're a host because there's a whole army of them. They're exactly who Jesus could have called on when he was on the cross. I could picture Jesus on the cross picturing the host in front of him. And with one word, he could have come down from the cross because he had an angel army waiting on him. Okay. But Jesus said, Nope, I'm going to endure this. Okay, here's the thing. We also have an angel army fighting for us. God is the God of hosts. He is the God of the angel armies. And it says here, the Lord of hosts. He's with us. He is present with us. And so when these times of restlessness come, 
We can look all kinds of directions, but the place to look, the person to look to is God. Because how do you fight an angel army? You don't. He can provide that kind of help. And then it says, the God of Jacob is our refuge. There's that word again. He's our safe place. Do you consider God your safe place? We all need safe places. I have many friends where I know that they're my safe place. I know because over the years, I've told them things that I wanted only them to know, and they've kept my trust. Do you have friends like that? You need friends like that. Everybody needs friends like that, okay? But also, you need to realize God is that friend. God is your safe place. Do we go to God in that way? And then it says in verses 8 through 11, these are the last verses here, Come, behold the works of the Lord. See what desolations he has brought on the earth. And so he says, just look at the works of God, the mighty works of God. This is a major theme throughout the Old Testament. God is a God who works mighty works. And he says, he makes war cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shield with fire. And then there's this great verse, uh, part of verse 10, the first part of verse 10. Be still and know that I am God. And so up to this point, it's been picturing God, showing the character of God, the nature of God. He's a refuge. He's strength. He's a a present help in times of darkness. He is the Lord of the angel armies. And now he speaks. And what does he say? Be still and know that I am God. That's God telling us what to do in times of trouble. Be still. Don't be restless. Be still. I'm your refuge. I'm your safe place. I'm your strength. I got a whole army around me that's ready to fight for you. Be still and know that I am God. And the know there is that yada in the Old Testament, which means know by experience. Know by everything I just said, that I can cease wars. I can break bows. I can put things on fire. Know by experience who I am and trust in me. And then it mentions again, I'm exalted among the nations. I am exalted in the earth. And the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. So what is the antidote to restlessness? It's stillness. It's making a decision. I'm going to spend extended times with God because God is my refuge. He's my safe place. He's my strength. He's the Lord of the angel armies. He is the source of strength in my life. He is a present help in times of trouble. That's who God is. What does he ask of us? I mean, there he is. That's his character. That's who he is. What does he ask of us? Be still. Just stop what you're doing. Be still. Take a breath. Take a breath and know that I am God. And that's what I've been trying to do this week. I've been practicing this all the second half of the week, just being still, knowing that he is God. He asks us to live in his presence. He tells us, he wants us to let go of our frets, our worries, our anxieties, our unhealthy attachments, and be still with him. He wants us to sit with him, to rest with him, to know him by experience, to experience his presence in our lives. Dallas Willard adds that um, we need to be silent before him. Not just be still, but be silent, be quiet. Be quiet and listen, and I like that. Some might call that, again, meditation. They might call it contemplation. It's a good thing. 
Along with that is breathing, just breathing, breathing in the Holy Spirit, breathing in God. Um, another word that goes along with that is relax, relax, be still. Isn't that relaxing? I mean, we don't talk about relaxation in the church very much. We don't talk about it in our culture very much. But relaxing before God, that's a good thing. Um, it's in spending intentional time with the Lord of the universe, the Lord of the angel armies. Dallas Willard says, if we spend long periods of time before God, we learn his character. And we just went through his, what his character was. We begin to take on his character. Dallas Willard says, if we live with God fully, there is nothing to fear. Well, that's a really difficult statement. There is nothing to fear. That is so hard. But even God says it in here. Therefore, uh, in, in, in this psalm, therefore, we will not fear. So we have to learn to do that. The point is this. The antidote to restlessness is stillness. Be still before the Lord and find rest in him. At times we get shaken like I have this week. At times we get discouraged like I have this week. When this happens, I need to remember to sit by the river whose stream makes glad the city of God. I love that image. And I literally went by a stream this week and I just sat. I just sat by the stream and I looked at the water and I looked for God in the water. That might sound crazy to you, but it's what I do. Uh, and it helps me because that flowing of the stream or the waves of the ocean, they just give us stillness and they give us rest. And I find, I, I look for rest in him. Our hearts are restless, but um, we, can we can make a decision that I'm going to be still before the Lord. We can't control all the events around us that create the restlessness. The one thing that we can control is a decision, I'm going to be still. That's the one thing. We can control ourselves. We can control our react reaction. So we read through long passages of the Bible. We read through the Psalms. We count our blessings. We remember our purpose. We slow our breath, which calms our hearts. We learn to trust God. We learn to lean on God and not our own understanding. We are still before God uh, for even at times an uncomfortably long time just being still because we're not used to stillness and we're not used to relaxation and we're not used to meditation. So sometimes it gets uncomfortable, but we stay there knowing that the comfort will come and God will ease our restlessness. Now, this is not a call to passivity. And it's not a call to inactivity, because what happens is when we get still before the Lord, we bring more energy afterwards. And we bring more of a mindset of, I want to do great things with God. Dallas Willard says, we, when we enter a room, we bring God with us. That's what happens after stillness. You realize God is present with me. So every room that I enter, I'm bringing God with me into the room. God is our refuge. He is our strength. He's a very present help in trouble. God invites us to be still and know that he is God. Choose this week stillness over restlessness. Amen.